I almost postponed recording this podcast for a little bit or releasing it so that we could talk about the Broadway release at Playhouse Square. It's a big moment for theater goers, but people get mad when we delay the publishing of this podcast, so we'll talk about it tomorrow. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. It's a sunny Tuesday, and it's supposed to be sunny all day, right? Yeah, yes. it looks, and in the 60s. So let's take the gorgeous. day off and go garden. What do you think? And that, yes. <laughs> it's the first day you could do it all spring. No such luck. We have work to do. So did Cuyahoga County Council go ahead and put in legislation to create their gigantic slush funds? Layla, not really a surprise because they really don't pay attention to what the will of the voters and taxpayers are. What did they do? Don't worry, Chris. The slush funds are on their way. Cuyahoga County Council is undeterred from their bad idea so far. Caitlin Durbin reports that on Monday, the county officially announced plans to set aside this $86 million in federal stimulus money for what they're calling miscellaneous community grants that will fund various projects to be proposed by council members and executive Armin Budish. It shakes out to $66 million for council members, $6 million for each of the 11 members, and then $20 $20 million for Budish, which then, oddly, we came to find out yesterday, some of Budish's money is already baked into other projects that have already been announced with other batches of stimulus funds. So he didn't even have to give himself one of these slush funds to begin with, but I guess he just doesn't like to be left out of bad ideas. So <laughs> anyway, you know, you I mean, the story here, everyone knows it. Council continues to defend this plan. They keep saying this is all above board and that council will have to approve every expenditure from these pots of money. But what we've seen is that it already hasn't been above board. Just last week, Councilwoman Cheryl Stevens promised $120,000 of her slush fund to University Heights for a road resurfacing project that count that the city council was prepared to vote down without that money that city council voted to move that project forward only because of her pledge, and that was before these county council ARPA funds had even been officially proposed, let alone approved. So we're talking about government business being conducted way, way, way out of the sunshine here. In secret. They're secretly making these plans without, without telling people, and now they finally have introduced it. They're, they're also abandoning... The charter, because the charter was created to create a county executive form of government where the county executive is the one that is putting these plans together. They were supposed to be the body flying at 30,000 feet, setting general policy, setting general spending priorities, not handing out cash left and right to whatever whim comes their way. And $6 million pays for a lot of whim. The other thing I think this shows is a striking lack of of creativity. I've covered governments for 40 years. There has never been a time when governments have gotten this kind of a windfall to make transformative change. And this really calls for great thinking to sit back and say, what can we do that will forever change the fortunes of the people we serve? And they're so lacking in creativity that they come up with, oh, let me give out $120,000 here for some road paving. Let me, it's just, it's so squandering of the last time we'll see something like this. I'm going to, I think we ought to do a thing where we ask the, the readers 
what would you do with $66 million mm. if you had it in a pile to transform the region? I think we'll get a lot more creativity from the people who listen well, to this podcast and who read all our platforms than the people we've elected. We did, Laura, put their pictures on the front page of the Plain Dealer today because nobody knows who their county council people are. Take a look at the pictures. Take a look at their names. They are the ones squandering the one-time infusion of Can cash. I just point out their also picture? that, you know, Caitlin's story outlined a few other projects that were part of the spending proposals that were announced here. And uh, But I just want to say... Council President Purnell Jones said, you know, our hope is that the next group of leaders can also spark change and build on our great momentum for a long time. And when he said that, he was talking about the $53.6 million that would be left in the till to the next administration to use next year. That's less than the county council slush funds. So <laughs> I'm just saying, they're leaving less to the next administration than they're using to, you know, make it rain in their districts. Well, and that, you know, that is a point worth talking about. The candidates for the next administration should be screaming bloody murder. Chris Renane, Lee Weingart, um, Tariq Shabazz, they should be screaming about this. They should be saying, hey, don't squander the future. Let's make transformative change. You know, I threw the idea up. Why don't we create a nursing school and and end the, the shortage of nurses by, by educating people for free? How many other ideas could we come up with that would forever change the fortunes of residents and fortify the economy. And instead, they're going to walk around with their checkbooks. Go get a little bit here, a little bit there. Elect me, elect me. I guess this is a way to get their names known by going around and giving out their handouts. It's such it's such a corruption of the purpose of this government. They're violating the entire intent of yeah, that I mean, charter. Even, 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 and, and where the charter authors they should right. be screaming bloody murder about this this is why we created a county council right i mean look at Cher cheryl stevens gets to be the hero of this road resurfacing project in university heights i mean for 120,000, it's a pretty good deal right you know right and the day after the road is though, paved right? who's going to remember that who will remember that that's the, the money could make a permanent change now it's going to go into tar <laughs> what were you saying laura i was going to say i don't think they'll call it the cheryl stevens like intersection <laughs> with the crosswalks <laughs> but <laughs> can you just see like the little plaques they could give out with their money like this project brought to you by <laughs> county council members don't oh, give so. them any ideas yeah <laughs> well, they know will who's responsible. they want to be little mayors and that's not what it's it's there for, I don't know. We, we, like I said it before. We would have been better off with county commissioners because then you'd only have three slush funds instead of, you know, a zillion. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the chances that votes in Ohio's congressional primaries will be rejected as valid? Lisa, you can't possibly answer that question, but it poses the question that is before the court. Yeah, there's a new wrinkle here in the ongoing gerrymandering issue. Uh, Percy Squire, he's an attorney for Youngstown area black voters, and he argued yesterday before the three-judge federal panel to he wants them to discount the winners of the congressional primary races because the maps being used the march 2nd maps discriminate against black voters so he intervened in this gop activist lawsuit that this three-judge federal panel is considering and this lawsuit is asking that they use that march 2nd map for the elections attorney julie pfeiffer for uh the gop members of the redistricting committee governor dewine 
Auditor Keith Faber and Secretary of State Keith Rose. She says that would be unfair and it would destroy voter confidence and cause confusion. And she says that the map that they're going to use for the elections or are using doesn't violate the Voting Rights Act. They're expecting a ruling on this motion today. So we'll see what happens. I don't see it. I'll be surprised if they do it. I think the congressional districts are set for the next two years. The people who had sued have put their fight for the 2024 election. Um, and we'll see. I mean, a judge could always do it, but then it'll go straight to an appellate court. Uh, and this right. could go all the way to the Supreme Court. And, this seems and like we're running out of time. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't want to. I mean, people are voting now and you don't want to say, yeah, throw your votes away. Um, we've kind of moved by consensus forward with the 2022 congressional maps. Let's see what well, and, and And the attorney, uh, Percy Squire, for the black voters, he says they don't want to stop the election. They just want to preserve a remedy by not issuing certificates of nomination to the winners of the congressional race until the case is decided. And he said that racial demographics should be taken into account, although there are those who disagree with him on that account. It's a tough battle. We'll talk about it tomorrow if we get the ruling later today. It's today in Ohio. How many additional medical marijuana dispensaries does Ohio want to license, and why do we have a need for more? Laura, it seems like a lot of Ohioans are going to Michigan, where it is a whole lot easier for them to buy their weed-related products. Maybe we're trying to keep some money in the state? Well, Weed, it's cheaper, apparently, in Michigan, too, even though some Ohio experts disagree with that. But yeah, there's only 58 dispensaries throughout Ohio, and the Ohio Board of Pharmacy is working on adding 73 new dispensary licenses. Apparently, this program has been a whole lot more popular than they expected. When they opened the dispensaries in January 2019, they projected 12,000 to 24,000 patients in the first two years. And that was after looking at a bunch of different states that had similar programs. But by February 2021, we had 136,507 registered patients and now we're at 252,000 and they have expanded who can you know the the diseases or the um, maladies that people have that they can get the medical marijuana there's it's easier to get now but I don't think anybody expected how much this so most counties are getting a lot more Cuyahoga has six dispensaries right now under the new plan it's gonna have 12. This did raise the question when I read the story in my mind yesterday where the effort to completely legalize marijuana in Ohio is. And I checked with Chris Wernowski. The legislature has till May 29th to act on that before it would return for a second petition drive to put it on the ballot. So this could all be made moot if we end up with completely legal marijuana products, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is not automatic because it takes some time to get these up and running. And the Ohio Lottery Board actually gets to pick which one of the, you know, all these people apply for it. And then not everybody can get it, can get the license. But once they're picked by the lottery, then they can work towards meeting all of the requirements. But you're right. It does sound like it's much easier to just drive across the border to Michigan where, you know, th- there are no hindrances to it. It sounds like unless a lot you're of in like Athens County, although that's the, um, several rural areas, Northwestern, Western Ohio, they don't have any dispensaries. And so the more rural you're in, you're right. The, the harder it is to get it. Okay. It's today in Ohio. 
Which well-known law enforcement personality from Ohio is Joe Biden's nominee to lead the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives? Layla, we know him well. I love when you tee up the question like that because I can do the the drum roll. (laughs) It's it's Steve (laughs) Dettelbach, the former U.S. attorney for the the Northern District of Ohio. Dettelbach is is currently a partner at Baker Hostetler in Cleveland. He was the Democratic Party's nominee for Ohio Attorney General in 2018. He lost that election, of course, to Dave Yost. Before becoming U.S. Attorney in 2009, he spent over two decades as a Justice Department prosecutor. Sabrina Eaton writes that in the White House Rose Garden, uh, Joe Biden announced the nomination and praised Edelbach's history of partnering with community leaders and law enforcement to help prevent violent crime, working with police to combat domestic extremism and to take violent criminals off the street. He talked about Edelbach's prosecutions of a serial arsonist and a man who torched a mosque. Interestingly, this is Biden's second pick for the ATF job. His his first nomination, gun control advocate David Chipman, was eventually withdrawn because of opposition from gun rights groups. Dettelbach was viewed as a really good choice that would win Senate approval because he had won their approval in the past as U.S. attorney under Barack Obama. Of course, we're living in a completely different world now. Yeah, <laughs> not so fast, man. Look, I I, I I like Steve. Steve's a good guy. You know, we've talked to him plenty over the years. He did. He was a very solid U.S. attorney, very focused on social justice. I mean, he did a lot of things quite well. But this has nothing to do with whether he's qualified. It's going to be partisan, yeah. and he can be attacked easily from both the right and the left, right? From the left, he didn't prosecute anybody in the Tamir yeah, Rice case. Right. If ever there was a case that should have had prosecution in a civil rights kind of arena, it's that one. He he also, from the right, they're going to attack him because he pushed Cleveland police into a consent decree. Now, we all know Cleveland police really needed to be shoved into a consent decree. They were terrible police, but the right will come out of him and say, you're anti-police. He has the Amish beard cutting case where <laughs> they took the most serious level of legal gymnastics I've ever seen to make it a federal crime because the scissors were made in New York and <laughs> transported across state lines was 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 really kind of a, of a silly one. So I think he's going to have some trouble. And let's not forget for the last couple of years, he's been representing Chuck Jones, the CEO of First Energy, which has admitted to bribing the legislature with $60 million, and they've named Chuck Jones as the guy who approved it. So I imagine all of that will come up in a confirmation hearing. Can he make it through? <laughs> Those are great points. I imagine that Joe Biden, as he fumbled Dettelbach's name in the Rose Garden, uh, <laughs> might not have been thinking about that. <laughs> but yeah, Dettelbach I, does seem to be surrounded by some strong support for this nomination. So maybe his 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 resume will speak for itself. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> he look. He's he is a true public. Yes, he, he is. He is a good person who really wants to serve. I mean, look, he's making gazillions of dollars with his law firm, and he's willing to give that up to go do service. And and really, of all the people we've dealt with in Northeast Ohio, he's, he's one of the true upstanding public servants. But this is not normal times. He's going to get buffeted, I think, in the mm-hmm. confirmation yeah. hearings. Good luck, Steve. We're rooting <laughs> for you. It's Today in Ohio.
How is Cleveland Hopkins International Airport trying to alleviate the parking jam and will help come in time for Easter week spring breakers? Lisa, we're going to try and do a story to see if any other airport in America doesn't have enough parking. How can you run an airport and not have parking? But what's the deal here? Well, Hopkins shut down its brown lot back in during the pandemic in spring 2020, because as we all know, air travel plummeted to, you know, near zero during the pandemic. They are reopening the brown lot in May. They're restriping and renovating the asphalt right now. That will add 500 city-owned spaces to the airport. Now, the brown lot is a mile away, so you can't just get off and walk into the, you have to get on a shuttle to go to your terminal. But unfortunately travel surged back after the pandemic. Well, it's not over, but it kind of waned a little bit. Um, Airport parking has been near or at capacity in recent weeks. All city-owned lots have been full, sold out. Private lots on Snow Road have been nearly full just about every day. But we're losing some spots or we don't have some spots. The smart garage has 200 spots roped off for repair. And then there was a small surface lot next door to the smart garage that's now employee only. Well, let's remember, there used to be a second garage in the city and its wisdom tore it down. It's just, there's, I don't think there's much that could be more frustrating than showing up at the airport and not being able to park. A few years ago, I got stuck and had a meeting in New York and I couldn't find parking in time to get my plane, so I had to drive to New York. I just got on the highway. <laughs> We've heard of other people having the same kind of thing. They leave, you know, the normal amount of time to get there, but as they drive around looking for a spot, they can't get it. So now the recommendation is reserve your spot ahead of time. What right. kind of operation are they running <laughs> out what? there? Well, the smart garage is an Uber. <laughs> well, the thing about is with COVID, I think a lot of people are leery about taking Ubers and they became less comfortable. Oh, give me a break, right? You've taken an Uber, but you're going to pack yourself in an airplane. Well, that's true. There's a very good point there. <laughs> but, I'm tired and, of all you these know, nonsense people in COVID times. <laughs> But I, I agree with you. But my neighbor, like, she, she literally was driving around almost Mr. Flight, and her husband, like, you got her a spot in one of the further garages. But then she had to wait for the um, the, the shuttle, and she's like, if I had to check a bag, I wouldn't have made it on, on her business flight. Yeah. So, But then we did send a photographer to the airport last night. I was like, okay, let's get pictures of all these, you know, like, signs that say that the lots are full. Well... They were open yesterday. <laughs> but, but Laura did bring up a point. Go ahead, Lisa. You know, ride share, no, ride shares are way down, and they say that's part of the problem. I mean, before the pandemic, they were getting like four, 44,000 ride shares, you know, coming to the airport per month. That's down 40 percent to only 26,000 a month. So a lot more people are saying, I don't want to fuss with parking. I'm going to, you know, take Uber. They're not doing that. But the truth is, the city gouges you when you park at the airport. They could bond against the high prices they charge and build the garage in the place where they tore one down. This is not really complicated. They just have not planned well for the future. They don't have the parking that meets the capacity that they're trying to hit with their flights. Maybe this is their way of getting everybody on board for their $2 billion renovation. (laughs) Be like, you can have a parking spot. No, it's to get everybody to fly out of Akron Canton where you can park outside the front door. (laughs) And they got plenty of space because they lost a lot of flights in the last couple of years. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio.
What's the bad news for people using cellular phones in Northeast Ohio that rely on 3G networks? Laura, it seems like just yesterday 3G was the big thing, but it's passe. No, it's 5G now, Chris. Um, yep. Only about 1% of Americans are still using 3G access for their phones. And AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, all the big ones, they want to free up the radio frequency for their 4G and 5G networks. And so AT&T has already shut down 3G. The other ones are doing it this year so they can provide these faster internet speeds. The thing is, this might affect things that are not cell phones like home alarms, court ordered monitoring and 911 calls um, if people haven't upgraded. So the Federal Communication Commission is urging people with any kind of 3G devices to consult their providers about the shutdown and figure out what they need to do before it gets shut down. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. What do we know about the latest death in the Cuyahoga County Jail, and is the pace of deaths in the jail picking up again? Layla, this is a red flag. To have this many this early in the year makes it feel like it's 2018 again. We usually have the number we have now in an entire year. The jail continues to be a dangerous yeah, place. Yeah, and the, uh, the details of this particular case are, are, are troubling. Here's what we know. 39-year-old Shondo Moffitt fell unconscious around 12.30 p.m. Monday, and an ambulance took him to Metro Health Medical Center where he died. His cause of death is still under investigation. Adam Faris reports, however, that according to court records, uh, Moffitt struggled recently with several health problems, including excessively high blood pressure and kidney issues that included a possible tumor. And in fact, his attorney had asked the court recently to release him with a GPS monitor so that he could visit his doctor. This this poor guy had four kids between the ages of two and ten. He had worked his whole life in factories in the Cleveland area. He was being held on nonviolent offenses. Suspected car theft was one of them. And his attorney is arguing that he should have been released so that he could seek the medical care that he needed in the community. This is the second inmate death this year. The other was Adam Weekly, who died January 16th. The county medical examiner has not yet ruled on that death, but records show that he had severe mental and physical health issues and had been down for hours before he was found unconscious at the jail. Yeah, and so. Right. Um, yes, very troubling facts here. That, yeah, it's... Well, remember, before before the rash of deaths, what was it, eight or nine in a yeah. year in 2018, mm -hmm. we basically had about two deaths at the jail a year, which is not unexpected because people can come in in terrible condition or, or an overdose. But to have two before mid-April is, is an alarm bell. You know, and this does come, what, a week after the jail mistakenly released a guy accused of aggravated yeah. murder. It seems like the wheels are off again at the county jail at the very time we're talking about the need to replace right. it. This is giving rise to an argument about, do we really need a new jail? What would happen if we actually operated this one the way it should be operated? We're, we're running it incompetently. Right, right. Well, I mean... You know, part of the planning for this new facility is is to ensure that inmates can access medical care more easily. Also, they would they would try to create a layout for the new facility that would require fewer officers to properly supervise inmates. You know, crowding and poor conditions at the, at this facility that we currently have was has been exacerbated by remember those forced lockdowns that had to be put in place when the jail didn't have the staffing to keep up, and a lot of that has to do with the layout of the jail and the model of supervision that they have been using there. So, um, you know, a, a new jail, they but, believe, but, but would, would 
alleviate that if it's built correctly and, and they can operate it the right way. But here's the thing. Yesterday, they put out a video, the county council and Buddhist and all these people smiling and talking about how they are going to create these slush funds when they should be doing an all-hands-on-deck meeting to figure out why do we have two deaths this year? How did a guy go down for a very long time before anybody noticed he was down? Why was this guy still in jail when he had clear medical reasons not to be? It it just seems like the priorities are are a mess. You know, they're focused on building a jail on what is basically a toxic site instead of thinking about caring for these folks. And and yesterday's a perfect example of of their lack of focus, right? They want to get their slush funds. They're all happy. They're all on video. Who's paying attention to what's going wrong at the jail? I think you're completely correct. But their, their answer to that would probably be, well, we are elevating the jail discussion. We are trying to get shovels in the ground and get this jail built on the toxic dump. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get shovels in the ground and unearth the toxins yeah, that are worry. buried we'll, there. We're taking care of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is Vitalize Health and why are investors putting $50 million into the company, which has offices in Cleveland? Lisa, I'd never heard of Vitalize Health, but they have an interesting business strategy. And I've never heard of the business strategy either, but Vitalize Health is what they call a value-based healthcare system. And they right now are serving 130,000 seniors, most of them on Medicare in 16 states. And with this model, the doctors get paid when their patients stay out of the hospital. So this model, it's called also accountable health care, and it incentivizes preventive care and incentivizes more spending more time with their patients to know what their needs are and uh, vitalize has acquired $50 million in venture capital to help it expand this business model and get more physicians involved. Vitalize back in 2021 acquired Cleveland-based MedPilot, which was a similar business. So they have offices both here in Cleveland and New Jersey. And uh, the MedPilot founder, who is now the chief marketing officer for Vitalize Health, Matt Buder Shapiro, he's a Shaker Heights native. He says this is a huge win for Cleveland. He says that actually MedPilot moved from New York to Cap capitalize on regional talent here in Northeast Ohio and local philanthropic and other funding support. And he says this proves that Cleveland startups can succeed. Yeah, it's it's $50 million is a significant sum of money. What we could do with $50 million in our industry. Check out the story on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. What is Cuyahoga County's latest investment in rebuilding the regional tree canopy? Laura, I get a mixed message from people on this. There's some that think it's great. We're trying to invest in putting more trees. We used to be called the tree city. We need more trees. Trees are great. Others think it's a squandering of tax dollars and we should focus on the the more serious services. What's the deal here? Okay, I'm pro-tree, just to be totally clear, um, in Forest City. But this is 90, sorry, Cuyahoga County just announced this, 27 tree planting projects this year, $950,000 in awards to add more than 3,400 trees. And so this is this program has been going on since 2019, and so we're looking at more than 7,500 trees planted so far. A bunch of different species, 30 to 40 of them, most of them native to Ohio. And the Cuyahoga Soil and Water Conservation District will be working with these grants recipients to make sure that these these trees thrive once they're planted because there's nothing more frustrating than you know seeing brand new trees just like wither up and die but um 
Yeah, this is a third year of the county's climate change action plan, and they're really hoping that there's a lot of environmental benefits of trees, more than just like the shade you think of when you see it. Do do people call in and say, I want a tree on my yard, or is it more programmed? They're going through neighborhoods and, and choosing where to place them. These are communities that were awarded grants, and they're all over the county, and plus organizations like the Western Reserve Land Conservancy, a cemetery foundation, the Slavic Village Community Development Corps. So it's not like you can just like fill out a website form to say, I want a tree. At least I don't think you can do that. But um, these these organizations in these cities will work to figure out the best where to put them. And the reason that they're working on this is that the urban tree canopy has really declined. 35% of land in the county is tree canopy as of 2019. That was a decline of 6,600 acres since 2011. And when you think about like, it's not like we're a we're currently building all these houses and, and knocking down trees for it. Most of our land has already been developed. So I don't know why we have so many fewer trees, but there are a ton of benefits that they provide. They help with air quality, stormwater runoff, they lower um, cooling costs and basically assist with our overall mental health. And considering mental health is a huge issue right now, anything we can do, it's good for the environment and good for mental health. I am but, but, all for but where are they going? I mean, it, like you said, we, there's not a lot of open space. So is this to make a bunch of shady streets or is it to take any plot of land and turn it into a mini forest? I don't know the details of that. I know the metro parks have also been planting in their areas, but I don't think that's included in this. And I'm hoping that if we're talking about community development corporations, then we're putting them in neighborhoods that that don't have enough trees and that would benefit from them and not just, you know, putting another pretty tree in a park. Well, you also have some people that just don't want them because the roots eventually get into their pipes and cost them money. And so there's a bit of a of a public relations battle to get people to understand no no no, you do want the tree on your tree lawn it's a healthy thing for you it's a healthy thing for your neighborhood yeah Um, we we, can protect the pipes we don't have street trees on my my street and i want them because like to, to me like looking down the street it would just be so much nicer and i would like more trees in my yard but you have to have a certain width between the sidewalk and the road for it to be safe and there's an arborist in rocky river i actually i did email him and i was like i would like a tree in my tree lawn he's like yeah we'd like that too but it's not feasible so sometimes these roads were built with the sidewalks that aren't possible for it so i think in the future people are doing a lot better planning to make sure that these trees can get planted and will thrive in the public right of way yeah, i gotta spend a bunch of money this year because the tree on our tree lawn has just destroyed our sidewalks all around it but i love the tree <laughs> it's today in ohio that wraps up a tuesday thanks lisa thanks layla thanks laura and thank you for listening to this podcast <laughs>